0: i need to begin with a little bit of a confession today Um, i forgot to pick up my dry cleaning yesterday you guys ever do that and and i'm the sort of guy that waits to the last minute to take their dry cleaning in and so because i forgot to pick it up that meant that this morning i'm going through my closet and i'm like man i got nothing and so i'm digging through shirts and i come across this thing and i'm like man i haven't worn that in forever so i put it on and as i'm walking through the halls today i realize i've got like six holes in this shirt I've probably had at least three different people come up trying to pick lint off of me it's a hole all right so if you can see it from your seats i apologize what can i say all right i'm sorry it's a holy shirt um <laughs> yeah it was too obvious i had to say it um hey i want to begin today uh, if y'all were here at the beginning of january we had uh an update or a chance to pray over Janae Pilcher. She was getting ready to go uh, to a village in Africa that she's been going to for many, many years. And if you are a part of her little Facebook group, she's been giving updates through her time there. And just as her church family, I want us to continue to, to pray for her. But I, I read this update yesterday and I thought it was worth sharing with the church today. Uh, she wrote, what an incredible day. We started with the kids program in the village. I've gotten, I have not gotten a solid count yet, but I think there are roughly 90 kids that came. Uh, today they learned what it means to praise God and why he is worthy of our praise. After we finished the kids program, we looked back up, uh, or loaded back up, and headed to the river for the baptisms of the four women from yesterday. There's so much to share about them, and I just can't do it all here. They were so excited. They sang and danced as they witnessed one another being baptized. It was so great to see. And after the last girl was baptized, Theto, a young boy from their village we have known for years, came to stand. he's the missionary, with his shirt unbuttoned and his shoes off, telling him, I want to be baptized. And after Stan and Neo talked with him for a bit, Thado accepted Christ. Neo told us that part of Thado's prayer really touched his heart. Thado surrendered his life to God and he's only 15. We have been praying for him for years. He was then baptized and the praising and the singing continued. When Thado was brought up out of the water, one of the other women that was baptized today told Tanya, He will be our leader one day. What an incredible journey God has in store for young Thado. Will you pray for him in the entire village? God is doing mighty things. Amen? Amen. What a wonderful thing to see. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And I want us to begin today uh, with a slightly different approach to prepare for this message today. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you just close your eyes for a moment, and, and we're just going to... Spend some time in prayer, but I want us to get in the right frame of mind. I want you to think about a time in your life, a specific moment where you felt undeniably close to God, a moment where you knew he was there. I want you to think about that specific instance, where you were, old you were, the circumstances around that moment. What you felt in your heart, in your soul, in your mind. And I want you just to tell him thank you. Thank him for the ways that he has revealed himself to you. I want you to continue in that posture, in that frame of mind of prayer. And I want us to acknowledge that that some of us in this room today, it was easy to think of such a moment. Maybe we thought of one recently, or we had a long list of moments that we could choose from. Numerous occasions where God has consistently proven himself to be with us. Maybe some of us here today, it was a little harder. It is a little harder to think of those moments. Maybe you have to reach further back into your past. So far back and and perhaps so infrequent have these moments occurred that maybe there's a part of you that questions their legitimacy. Whether or not you really felt what you think you felt. Or was it just your emotions? Maybe some of us in here today don't have a moment. Don't have an instance that we can think of where we know that we've been so close to God. Now, highlight those different ways that we answer to this question so that we can see that whether those moments come easily or whether they come with difficulty, that all of us would plead. And pray that right now would be such a moment. That all of us collectively would know and feel He is here with us. What gets in the way is our distractions, our questions, our doubts. He is here. And so let us prepare our hearts accordingly. I want you to pray for a moment. I want you just to acknowledge before your God that you are broken. Just admit your mistakes. Confess that you're a sinner. I'm telling you need Him. I want you to ask for his forgiveness. I want you to ask for his his help and his grace that he could cleanse you. He can change you. I want you to ask him into your heart, into your life. I want you to think about this cross, this empty tomb, this good news and i want you to tell your god and your king that you want to give him all that you are declare to him in this moment that you see jesus as lord and that all your days will be committed to him father we are undone By the fact that you are here, you are with us. Thank you for this gospel that cleanses and changes and renews. We set aside the earthly things. We set aside the impulses of the flesh. We ask that you would come in, God, and invade our very existence as we seek to give you the glory you deserve. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen and amen. Hey, if you um, have never prayed that way before, you know, let's say you were invited here today and you just were trying to test this God thing out, but something stirred you in that moment and you authentically and genuinely prayed that, uh, you need to tell someone today. You can come to me after the service. You can tell somebody that you're sitting next to, but you need to tell somebody. But the other reason I wanted us to start out that way is because that's a prayer that we always should be praying. Every single day to acknowledge our need for a Savior, for him to come into our lives and for us to commit our ways to his. That's how we get to truly and continually experience his presence. I want to I begin today with just kind of a quick disclaimer. I hope you guys know that most, most Sundays, this may come as a shock to you, Most Sundays, I try to be somewhat conscientious of how long, okay, I really do, Um, and and I recognize people only have so long of an attention span, Uh, I recognize there are other things on your mind today, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, so there are a lot of times that I try to be mindful of that, can I tell you, today is not one of them. Um, We're not here for a schedule. He's here. And, and the reason I'm not mindful of it today, if you are any, any capacity aware of where we are in this text and what we're about to read, that tells you why. We're not gonna just rush past this. We're gonna give it the sort of attention that it needs and that it deserves, okay? So those expectations and those thoughts that can kind of creep in, how much longer is he gonna go, I've got this to do. Now I know some of you, transportation-wise, like you have to, I get that, that's, that's fine. But for the rest of us those thoughts that can easily distract us from his presence i'm going to ask you now put them aside okay we're here for him all right and let's show him we desire him more than our schedule okay Um, now that being said we are going to begin uh, an introduction to this text with a bit of a poll all right a little survey little quiz of the audience and so i like to do this from time to time uh, let me see, by a show of hands, how many of you in here today have taken the Enneagram? Raise your hand. Okay? several of you. Okay? How many of you have not taken the Enneagram? Okay? How many of you have no idea what the Enneagram is? All <laughs> right. That's the most of you, probably. Uh, so the Enneagram is one of the latest crazes when it comes to the world of personality assessments. And uh, this, is, this is a way that people kind of have started discussing more about who they are. And, and it's pretty popular right now. In fact, just last week... I was on the playground with my kids at, at their school. A lot of times I pick them up on Fridays and we'll go and let them play with their friends in the playground. And I was standing next some, to some other parents and, and kind of halfway engaged in the conversation because you have to, have to watch your kids, but also halfway listen. And all of a sudden in the middle of that conversation, it got very uh, in, like, passionate and interesting as these two moms started going back and forth about all these numbers. Right, and it sounded a little bit like this. I'm a nine or a two, but I can't really tell if I'm a nine or a two. Well, I think you're a two. Really, because I think I'm a nine. What are you? I think I'm a six. And it just was nonstop numerical discussion. Now, I like to think or pretend that I had no idea what they were talking about, that I was just thinking about maybe their favorite jersey numbers or something along those lines. But the reality was I was sitting there on the inside going, man, I hope they ask me because I'm a three-wing two. You know, let's talk about this for a little bit because I've also taken the Enneagram. But one, one of the moms in particular in this conversation was really interested, like, like had a lot of additional research, a lot of additional reading that she had been taking on. And I was watching her talk about it, and I just started thinking, man, why are we so interested in these personality assessments. Y'all know that there are more than 2,000 personality assessments on the market right now? It is a $2 billion a year industry, right? It it is crazy. And and so it could be the more sophisticated ones like the Streaks Finders or DISC or even those, those crazy little BuzzFeed quizzes, right? You know, where it's like, hey, answer these questions. We'll tell you what Disney princess you are or what Disney villain you are. Tell us your favorite winter preferences and we'll tell you what flavor of soup you are. I mean, it's crazy what's out there, but we love it. Right Now, the, the most common personality assessment that still kind of, kind of reigns supreme in our culture is Myers-Briggs. Okay? Uh, I personally am not a huge fan of Myers-Briggs basically because I can never remember what my results were. And even if I did, I can't remember what they actually mean. This is where you get four letters, some form of an acronym. And, and I can never remember if it's like Ian. S T I N J P L M N O P I don't know, I don't know what any of them are, and so I don't really resonate with them. But it is the most popular. There, more than two million people a year will take Myers Bricks, and, and it's in over 26 different countries. You see it in Fortune 500 companies, you see it uh, in the military, you see it in universities, you see it with, with marital situations. People are constantly taking this assessment, and the reason is is because it helps create this awareness that actually influences managers, employers, employees to say, hey, here are the the tasks that would work really well for you based on who you are, your strengths, your capabilities, right? Here are the things that maybe you need to guard against. Here's what relationships will look like for you. And so basically the reason we're so interested in these assessments is because it helps us answer this fundamental question that we always love to ask, who am I? Who am I? And when you think about how we use them, Right, to the point that we think, well, this is the sort of career I should take. This is the sort of marriage I should have. All these different things. You know what we're really asking? It's really a question about our own sense of understanding our own power. We don't use that word, right? We, we prefer words like strengths, aptitudes, leadership, limitations. But it's basically what we're talking about. What am I, what am I capable of? Where, where can I thrive? Where can I excel what should i avoid it's this fundamental question who am i and that's the question that's really going to be kind of focused on in our text today right it becomes front and center in this exchange between god and moses but what we're going to discover is that that question leads us to a more important question not just who am i but who is god And while we, in our current situation, often use personality assessments and all these other different resources to answer that question for ourselves, what God does is he reveals a divine name, and that name is rich with power and promise. Today we get a chance to see exactly what God means with this description of the great I am. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. Last week we started this discussion of Moses in the burning bush, right? We, we talked about how this miracle puts itself on display and how God often reveals himself through miracles. We talked about that a little bit, but that ultimately what God does to set the tone in the first part of this exchange is remind Moses of his holiness, right? And so that was a lot of what we emphasized last week, that this was an uncommon power pointing to an uncommon God who was calling people to live an uncommon life, right? That's what we see. With holiness, And so once we have that established, we're now going to continue to see how this exchange between God and Moses uh, unfolds. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 and read through verse 15. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites. And this will be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from one generation to generation. You know, when, when you study a passage, or at least when I study a passage, and I, I kind of go through this process to help prepare to teach it, and I'm not going to go into the details of all those different steps of the process, but one of the last steps that i go through is to consult other writings other perspectives and opinions right whether that's an article a book a commentary just to see what other people who are a lot smarter than i am what they've had to say about a particular text and sometimes uh, that can be very helpful it can clarify certain questions Uh, sometimes it can create more questions and more confusion Uh, sometimes it's 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 filled with these emphatic statements that you see that scholars often make. And so there were a couple that I came across in studying this particular passage. One, one scholar said this is one of the most theologically rich passages in all the scripture. All right? and, then, and then just a few sentences later, there was another emphatic statement that this is one of the most hotly contested and debated with a wide variety of interpretations that you find in scripture. So good, good news, church. You're in luck. Today, you get to hear the most theologically rich sermon you've ever heard in your life, and I get to settle all the debates and all the questions about this passage, right? You you study these things, to be honest, you study these things, and you you realize, like, who am I to teach this? Like, seriously, and, and that's not something that I just feel today. That's something I tend to feel almost every week. This gospel message is so rich and so powerful and so significant. I'm constantly going, who am I to say anything about? It's a question that we often face when we're when we're presented with a task or responsibility that God has given us. And that's really where I want to begin with this story. I don't want us to walk through it verse by verse, line by line. I want to start with this moment where Moses asked the very same question. God presents him with a task and he says, who am I to do this? Now, what is it that's prompted that question out of Moses? Well, God's sending him. He's given him a task. He's given him a assignment. He is sending him to Pharaoh. Now, now, recognize how significant that is. We've talked for several weeks. Pharaoh is the personification of human power, right? There is no one more powerful on the planet than this man who is in charge of, of this nation. And so when, when Moses is saying, who am I? This is a, an admission of his own inadequacy. This is Moses saying, I'm not capable, right? Moses is sitting there going, listen, God, um, I, I hear what you're asking me to do. I'm a nine, you're really after a three, okay? So you've got the wrong guy in this situation. I don't have the right personality, don't have the right skill set. This is an acknowledgement of his own awareness of his own deficiencies and ineptitudes, right? Now, we, we often come across a similar situation, don't we? What's interesting is, is that this is a very different Moses. Very different than the one we saw in chapter two, right? Because in chapter two, Moses was quick to stand up and respond to injustice, he was quick to get involved. He was quick to move into those moments of the, the Egyptian confronting the Hebrew or the dispute between the Hebrews or protecting those Midianite daughters when the shepherds were coming, forcing them away. Right? That was the Moses we saw in chapter two. He was constantly saying, man, I got this. But now he's presented with a task and Moses' answer is, who am I? So in these two stories of Moses, chapter two and chapter three, we're taught that there, there are these seasons that we go through. Right? When, when our abilities, our strengths, our power is tested. When God asks us to do something, we tend to have one of two reactions. We either say, hey, I've got this, or who am I? Encountered those situations. See this a lot in, in life. You, you think about those moments in your life where you've encountered those situations where you sense your abilities being tested. We, we can see it even like in childhood innocence, right? When you're younger, uh, it's often with these like wagers and these dares that you have with your friends. Hey, bet you can't go climb that tree. You get into junior high, high school, hey, bet you can't drink a gallon of milk in under an hour, right? And you just, you're constantly challenging each other. I like to think that you grow out of that. You don't. Um, I'm, I'm almost 38, and, and I still have these conversations with my friends. I'm on a group text uh, with a couple of guys, and we're constantly throwing out different questions of what sort of athletic achievements we think we might still be able to make. And, I, and I've discovered that I think most of these questions are, are spurred on by different bits on the ticket sports station. So like some of the recent conversations have been, can you throw a football 35 yards in the air? Can you bench press 135 pounds 10 times? And, and so side note, if you happen to ever see me like on video and social media, like attempting one of these feats, just know I lost a bet. Okay. That's the only reason it's being documented. But, but we'll, we'll respond to these questions with a variety of answers. Right? Some of us, depending on the question, we're like, oh man, that's easy. I got that. totally do that. And others will immediately go to their sense of inadequacy saying, there's no chance I could do this. I'd be dead last. I wouldn't be able to lift anything. And you get this wide array of responses, right? And, and, And that's what we see constantly in life. Those two expressions. Which are you? What season are you in? Do you find yourself faced with certain challenges right now where you rise up and you say, man, I've got this. I can do this. Are you more overwhelmed by your own sense of inadequacy and deficiencies where you go, who am I? The reality is, is that there are pros and cons to both frames of mind. Right? Think about the I got this mentality. The, the good thing about this is that it creates courage. creates boldness. It leads you into adventure. It forces you to step out in faith. There are some great things that come with that mentality. But if you use it incorrectly, you'll end up crashing and crashing pretty hard. Look at where it got Moses. right, see, the the downside to that sort of mentality is that what you ultimately do is you put so much pressure on yourself that when you finally fail, because you will fail, the fallout from that feels so much more difficult because of all the expectations and pressure you were carrying. Not only that, there's a spiritual limitation with it because what can happen when you really embrace the I got this mentality is you ultimately make God an observer you put him on the sidelines like he's an onlooker check this watch what I'm about to do for you so there's some pitfalls to that sort of mentality on the other side when you when you find yourself going through this who am I question right and you you question your own sense of of aptitude and strength and all those different things there's some good that comes with that question because it creates a certain vulnerability, right? It, it helps you acknowledge, I, I don't have the power to do this. It helps create humility. All these things that are very essential if we're truly going to allow God's power to, to flourish in our lives. But if we're not careful, it too can be debilitating. Because when we're overwhelmed by our sense of inadequacy, deficiency, and we get obsessed with that question of who, I am, who am I, then ultimately what we do, you know what we do? We play it safe. <laughs> and we manage our life in a way that, that allows us to know, well, I'm capable of this. I can do this much, and we just manage it, right? So what that looks like in a very crude and simplistic presentation today, be a good kid, grow up, find a good spouse, find a good job, raise good kids, rinse and repeat. There's no adventure. There's no risk involved. There's no courage that you're trying to meet up. There's no real expression of true, adventuresome faith. That's where Moses is. Who am I? Who am I to do this? And so God answers him. He gives him an answer, and it's really an interesting answer. He actually doesn't answer the question by explaining who Moses is. He just simply says, listen, I'll be with you. There is a profound lesson in God's response that I don't know how much we really want to hear, but, but listen closely, church. Here's essentially what God just said to Moses. Who you are doesn't matter. Not that you are insignificant, not that you're not valuable, but your strengths, your power, your weaknesses doesn't matter. I'm not asking you to go in your power. I'm sending you with mine, this is not about who Moses is. This is about who Moses is with. And God is saying, I am with you. That's what matters. Right? And that is the way that we begin to see Moses answer this question. Now, the, the, the reason that, that Moses continues the conversation could almost feel like a shift, but we can't lose sight of the context, right? Because from here, Moses says, okay, okay, I get it. So let's say I go and I tell the people that you've sent me, and they say, what's your name? What should I tell them? It's easy for us to kind of shift gears and think that this is almost like an isolated part of the conversation where Moses is just curious, right? Like, all right, I'm gonna go do this. Just tell me what, what name do I need to exchange? I, I don't know what to tell them. But it's, it's really part of a much larger context. Essentially, what Moses is now saying is, all right, if you're the more important part, then who are you? And the reason that is such a critical question is everything that has surrounded this exchange that we can't lose sight of, okay? So so when when God first tells Moses, hey, I'm gonna be with you, he then says, and I'm gonna give you a sign. The sign is that once you bring these people up out of Egypt, you're gonna worship me here on this mountain. That's an incredible statement of power. And, And the way that we can see that is by tracking with everything that God has said up to this moment, right? When we pick up in verse seven, we see terminology and vocabulary that should remind you of the end of chapter two. God has seen, he has heard, he is concerned about the cries, about the misery, about the suffering, about the oppression of his people. There is a dramatic backdrop that is taking place that is prompting God's response in an incredible amount of injustice and pain and suffering, and God is responding to it with urgency. His, His urgent response is, I've come down. Right, I am leaving my abode of heaven. I'm here in this moment that I can rescue them. Now that word rescue literally means to snatch away from. It is a word that evokes a sense of power. I am going to forcibly take back my people out of the hands of Pharaoh, out of the land of Egypt. They think they're powerful. Their power has no match for my own. And so that would be significant enough, but God doesn't stop there. Then you get to verse eight, and what does he talk about? He talks about the new land. Three different times we have this word, land, appear. And what we see is this this promise that was given to Abraham that they've been waiting for for almost half of a millennium is finally coming to fruition. I'm gonna bring them into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. All, All of these are descriptors to describe the plentifulness, the abundance that they're gonna find in this land. But you know what was really remarkable to me? God lists out six different nations to describe where this land is. Right? Obviously, geographical demarcations of where the land is. But but essentially, you know what he's saying? Not only am I going to bring you out of Egypt, I'm going to have you drive out six additional peoples. It is another incredible statement of unbelievable power. And then once you've driven them out and I've given you this land, then you're going to worship me. In the same way that you are experiencing my power and my presence now, Moses, all those people are going to experience that same sort of connection and power here on this mountain. It is an undeniable statement of power with tremendous implications, right? First, it's, it's unparalleled power to anything we've seen up to this point in Scripture, right? God has revealed himself to the patriarchs, right? He, he's made promises. He showed up visions, he's entered covenants he's protected them he's allowed them to to be fruitful to bear children he's protected joseph when he was in the hands of pharaoh he's done these things but now he's taking on egypt he's taking on a nation it is unparalleled statement of power and not only that in the in the working out of this power god is going to definitively declare there is no other god but him i mean think about egypt <clears throat> Right? Egypt is filled with gods and goddesses that, that direct and oversee every area of life. And God's about to make a mockery of all of it, definitively declaring, I am the one true God. Think about this sign of worship. You know what the root word for worship is? Work. A lot of lessons that we could take from that. Right? In the Hebrew, that word that's used for worship, its root is work. It's another word for servitude. So so are you seeing the picture? Right now, the people of Israel are are held in this captivity, this servitude that is subjected to the abusive, corruptible power of mankind. But what God is gonna do is bring them out of that and into a servitude that is life-giving, soul-singing, worship of his flourishing power. I don't know that we truly understand how remarkable this is. I mean, imagine for a moment that if God spoke to to someone, some leader, and said, I'm gonna send you to the most powerful person on the planet. And and I'm gonna have you stand before them and tell them that we're gonna bring a people out of their possession. And we're gonna not only do that, we're gonna actually defeat six other nations. And you're gonna have this new territory where you're gonna be able to worship freely. That is an unparalleled statement of power. And so Moses, confronted with this, is going, who's gonna be able to do that? Who is it that's really capable of such a manifestation of power? When Moses asked for his name, what he's really asking about is God's reputation, right? In our context today, we think about names, and it's based on what we like, what we dislike, what we think is meaningful based on family lineage and all these different things. But in ancient civilization, a name carried the idea of your character. It carried an idea of your reputation. So Moses is saying, okay, I hear you. What is there in your reputation to justify that you're able to do this? Where's your proof? And these Israelites who've been crying out for you, aren't they going to ask, hey, at what point have you ever claimed a victory over the Egyptians? How do we know that you're going to be capable of doing this? Their question becomes a question of God's power. And don't we do the same? Right, when we think about the the things God's called us to, or we think about things that might happen in our midst, don't we stop and go, is he really able to do that? Is he really capable? Where where do we have proof? Where, Where do we have credibility that he's gonna do the things that he says he's going to do? That's the question that Moses is asking. Show me that you really are gonna be able to do these things. And to that question... God gives him his name. And it's an incredible moment, right? And I'll, I wanna work through it in, in a little bit of a sequence. I wanna start first just grammatically understanding what has taken place here. In, in the original language, it's really just four letters, four Hebrew letters. And because it was so rarely ever pronounced in public, nobody really knows uh, what pronunciation to apply to this word, which is what creates the debate of interpretation from time to time. Uh, so uh, as a result, people have assigned kind of an academic label for it. It's called the Tetragrammaton, uh, more or less. And I, I, you'll probably never hear me say that again. Uh, to me, it reminds me of Transformers, it's like Optimus Prime and Tetragrammaton. I don't know. It just feels weird. But I need to prove to you that I've been to seminary, you know, so I need to tell you some of these things. But here's essentially what it means. If you translate it, it's right there. I am who I am. Right, and now it's, it's, it's four verbs appearing between verses 12 and 13, which is what makes it read incredibly awkward. But the emphasis is undeniable, right? This is all from the verb to be, okay? And so essentially this is God elaborating on his previous statement that I am with you. And so what he is emphasizing is his presence and his existence. I am God. I am here. If we were to simplify it, it's so perfectly stated, I always am. He always is. There's never a moment that he wasn't. There's never a moment that he won't be. He always is. This is his answer to Moses, to reveal his power. This is the fulfillment of the divine name. This is what takes us into the one of the most beautiful promises that we see woven throughout the passages of scripture that no matter what we face, God is. He is here. He is with us. And so that was the promise that was going to lead them to the chambers of Pharaoh and through the Exodus. That was the promise that was going to allow them to establish their kingdom in this new land. And when the exile unfolded and they found themselves in captivity once again, estranged and lost, they cried out once more A Savior. We need a Messiah. We need a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father. We need the hope of Emmanuel, God, with us. And then one day, a child was born, a son. Was given, and his name was Jesus. And as he began to walk this earth, and teach, and heal, and love, and engage, people began to ask the same question: Who are you? By what authority do you do these things? With with what power do you do this stuff? And we see these exchanges throughout the gospel. There's one I'm going to refer to. You don't have to turn there. We're going to have some of it up on the screens. But it comes from John chapter 8. Right, here's this exchange between Jesus and so many others that have gathered around him where they're, they're wondering who he is and how he's doing all the things that he's doing. And at some point, they actually begin to question if he's possessed by a demon. Surely he's demon. There, there's no other explanation for his power, for the way that he is working amongst us. And so Jesus responds by saying, Oh, I'm not possessed by any demon. In fact, if you obey my words, you won't see death. You know what you have there? You have a statement of unparalleled power, right? What, what God says to Moses is incredible, but what Jesus just said it takes it up to a whole nother level. You won't even taste death. And so, of course, the reaction is similar. When we pick it up, in verse 52, the people respond and they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who are you to think that you can claim such power, that you can, what, what, what's your reputation? What's your credibility? So Jesus answers, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Listen to this. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now Jesus is really pushing the envelope. Right, and it doesn't even make sense to them. And they respond, wait, you're not even 50 years old. Are you saying you've seen Abraham? Are you saying that, that you've seen him? What, what, what are you declaring? What are you claiming here? Now look at his answer. Pay attention, church, 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. You see what he just did? Jesus just assumed the divine name for himself to answer their question of who you are and by how you think you're going to do this power. He just declared before Abraham even existed, I was, I always have been, I always will be. It was such an incredible statement that of course they picked up stones preparing to stone him. For them, it was an incredible display of blasphemy. How could he ever declare and assume for himself this divine name that was so sacred. And so, of course, they question his authority and the credibility to do so. And so what did Jesus have to do throughout his ministry? He had to give them a sign that this power was truly his. He had to give them a sign to say that I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He had to justify all those things. So what did he do? He healed the lame. He made the blind see. The demons ran and flee from him. This Jesus defeated the grave itself as a full declaration that he fully and rightfully assumes the divine name, the Great I Am. Do you really believe it? Or is it just a story? with some interesting overlap between Moses and Jesus. Do you really believe this power? He is here and always is. How are you responding to these questions where your strengths and his call in your life is testing you? You know, when I accepted to, to come to this church and be pastor, um, I knew it would be challenging. I did. Um, that, that wasn't lost on me. But I could also kind of anticipate those first steps. I come in, get to know people, um, build relationships, cast vision, talk about these convictions, hire some staff positions. We've got some, some things we need to solidify there. I, I could see those first steps. But can I just confess to you that just as recently as this last week, probably just this last week, was the first time I really realized just how hard it is. And that was a good thing for me. Because here's my tendency. My tendency is, I got this. I was in a counseling session one time, and as I was admitting some of the things that had been weighing on me and struggles that I was facing, the counselor looked at me and she said, You know what, your struggle is, my Your mentality is just try harder. So, whether it's with your family or your job or your relationships, you just dig deep and go, Just try harder. And she said, If you're not careful, you're going to crash. And what I realized this past week was that was more or less how I'd been treating my time here so far is try hard. I got this. And what was really taking place was I was making God an observer. Watch this, God. Watch what what I'm going to do for you here. And I had to kind of finally come to a place to go, I can't. (laughs) I'm not strong enough. I need your strength. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're faced with something where you're just trying to dig deep. Just try harder. You keep telling yourself, I've got this. When in reality, you don't. And what you need to be reminded of today is that his power is with you. Trust in his strength, not your own. Or maybe you're in that camp of, who am I? And it's gotten to a place to be too debilitating. To be honest, you've just managed your life. You've made it comfortable, right? You're, you're keeping it in this arena where things are just easy. or you're so scared of what he might actually ask you to do or what it might actually require that there is no adventure. There's no belief. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe God's power is sufficient enough to free you from an addiction? Do you trust more in counseling sessions, medication, or do you believe God's power can actually set you free from a depression? When you face illness, when you face sickness, We're grateful for the medical care that we have here. We're grateful for the incredible technology, but do you put your trust in that or in a God who says he can heal? What do you really believe? My hope is that all of us collectively as the body of Christ can come here and trust in his power. And as soon as we do that, you know what I want you to do? Think bigger. One of the greatest mistakes we could make with reading this text is only read it through the lens of Moses. And make it an individual journey of your call. You know what this text is really about? It's about a people. It's about Israel. It's about a nation. It's about a kingdom. It's about what God is going to do for them. That's the manifestation of His power. Is that how we think? Is that how we believe? Do we really believe what God can do in the midst of His body of believers? Do we cry out for those things? Do we cry out for His power? Do we spend time actually crying out for the 21 million people that are still held in slavery today? Do we cry out for the 158 million orphans that are around the world believing that God can set them free and give them a home, or is that too big of a number for him? Do we really spend time crying out with the fact that maybe, just maybe, he could use us, use this church to eradicate the need for a foster care system in this county? Do we really believe that revival can break out? Not in play. Do we really believe that people can, can change and that we can see thousands of baptism or is that not in play here for us? Is that just too difficult for us? What do we really believe? The moment we question, the moment we doubt, I beg with you and plead to you, run back to this text and see what has been promised and remember that he's not just said it, he's given you a sign. That sign is a man heals, and loves, and forgives. That sign is an old, rugged cross in an empty tomb. That sign is this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, this Jesus. The perfect fulfillment of the divine name, the great I Am. Let's believe, church. Father in heaven, help our unbelief. God, we confess too many times we try to move in our own sense of power. For those of us that are here today that we default to our own abilities and our own strengths, God, help us find a moment of surrender. Help us to admit that we need your power. You wouldn't use us. God, for those of us that have convinced ourselves that you wouldn't use us, that we're too inadequate or too deficient, God, lead us into adventure. Lead us into the risk of what it means to serve you. God, help us to see the significance of this promise. That you are here with us. Let that change us we confess the times we doubt it and plead and ask that now you would stir our hearts to believe for it's in the precious sacred holy name of jesus our savior that we pray these things amen amen i'm going to ask that you stay seated Uh, we're going to handle this time a little bit differently if you've been with us at all in the past, we, we often allow the invitation to be a, a moment where people to come forward for public decisions. Maybe you want to know more about having a relationship with Christ or joining the church. Listen, those things are absolutely still in play. Um, if that's something you want to do or need to do, then by all means do it. But what we're going to do is we're going to make this a moment of prayer. And, and I'm going to challenge you to treat this moment differently as a demonstration of our belief. Now, I'm not going to mandate this, but essentially what we're going to do is we're going to open the altar for prayer. I'm going to ask a couple members of our prayer ministry team to come and stand behind me uh, to be able to receive you in prayer. You've got a couple of options. If you need to stay in your seat to pray, stay in your seat. Uh, If you want to come forward and have somebody pray over you, we've got people behind me that uh, feel called and led to do that. You've got people you can talk to. If you need to just come to the altar and kneel, come to the altar and kneel but I'm gonna challenge you to disrupt your routine. A lot of times you think, well, I don't, want, I don't want people to see me walk forward, when they might think, put that aside, right? Demonstrate to your God that you're willing to move forward and kneel in his presence. If you need help in your own life, pray for help in your own life. Come pray for this church, pray for this community, pray for whatever it is that the spirit leads. But let's embrace this moment. Let's embrace the fact that our God is here. His power is available to each of us according to our needs and according to his plan. So Here in a moment, I'm going to invite you to do that. This is what this is going to look like. Matt is going to sing over us. He's going to sing a couple of verses of a song, and, and that's going to be our time of prayer. After he sings those verses, he's going to go into an instrumental and just keep playing, and I'm, I'm just going to allow this moment to last as long as we need it to. I'm not going to rush through it. Then after we sense that it's appropriate, I'm going to encourage you to go back to your seats and then we're going to stand and we're going to end this time with collective worship with one voice celebrating this promise that we have in Christ through this divine name so let me just go ahead and ask you to assume that posture of prayer whatever that looks like I would encourage you to come forward if you need to come forward have people pray over you if you want them to have prayed over you come to the altar but let's enter this time of prayer and worship